Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today at Grace Church. My name is Bob Bryce, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with you again today. You know, the weather has just been so beautiful for the last couple of weeks in Minnesota. I certainly hope you've had a chance to go out and enjoy it because we all kind of know what's coming right around the corner, don't we? Now, I'm, I'm not afraid of winter. I don't know about you, but I kind of enjoy the snow. I, I'm not really a big fan of the real bitter cold. But, you know, winter I don't have a problem with. My, my favorite winters are actually the ones that Tammy and I spent while we were living out in Salt Lake City. Because, you know, when you live in Salt Lake City, especially in the winter, you go skiing. It's what you do. And it was great. But, you know, it really did not start out great, at least for me, because I had a friend who volunteered to teach me how to ski. And, and while most instructors, you know, start with kind of the basics, uh, my friend Jeff had, had a slightly different method, which I would not recommend. We, we rode the ski lift all the way to the top of the mountain, at which point he then began screaming instructions at me while I continued to just unstoppably whiz by him, nearly killing myself on multiple occasions. Matter of fact, my final attempt ended so badly that I demanded that I ride the ski lift down the mountain, down the mountain. And after negotiating with the operator and multiple rounds of, look, this is just really not how we do it, they finally and somewhat reluctantly led us on the ski lift to ride it down. So down, down we go. Now, when we got to the bottom, it's obviously this whole system is not designed for you to ride it down and get off. So I didn't really know what to do, and then the bar came up, and when the bar came up, I just kind of instinctively jumped out of the chair, and then found myself almost nose level deep in snow. Matter of fact, they had to, they had to shut the entire operation down while they came and dug me out. And of course, all the while, Jeff, who was still sitting in the seat, was just telling me he can't believe how badly this all went. So have you ever heard the expression, there's no such thing as a bad student, only a bad teacher? Well, I believe at least in this particular situation, I could make a good case for that because his instruction was terrible, mostly because it was, it was the opposite of the way people should be taught how to ski. You know, I mean, start with the basics and then sort of work your way up the mountain, increasing in complexity. But, but for me, he had everything turned upside down upside down. But, but what about you? What experiences have you had in your life where things didn't go well because you, you either were not shown or taught how to do something correctly, or, or maybe you were taught how to do it the wrong way, or, or maybe you thought that you had it figured out, and then you only figured out later, mm, not so much. Uh, for me, I think like when I'm putting Ikea furniture together, you know, things are looking pretty good right up until I realized that I installed something, you know, either upside down or backwards. And, and now, of course, now I've got to take the entire thing apart and try to reassemble it just to try to make it right. Well, when it comes to prayer, if, if we've been taught to pray at all, we've often not been taught to pray very well. And so as we're working our way through the Lord's Prayer, we're exploring the way that Jesus taught his disciples and us to pray. And the more we get into this, the more we start to appreciate that a lot of times there are big differences between the way Jesus prayed and taught us to pray and the way 
we typically or actually pray. So far on our journey series together, we've talked about how Jesus teaches us to approach God as our loving father. We come to him as, as children come to their loving father. And then last week we talked about God's holy name. And remember we said uh, personal doesn't mean casual. And so we are to keep and, and remember and recognize and adore God, especially because he's so powerful and mighty. And we need to remember that. But we're also praying that his name be made and kept holy in our hearts and in our lives, and that God's holiness is reflected in us and through us out to the world. And so while we continue this week, we're going to be talking again about what it means uh, to ask God for something. And this week, we're going to talk about what it means to ask God to rule and reign in our lives in, in big ways, such big ways that the world can't help but take notice because people are being transformed by this love God has for us. But before we get into the details, let, let's pray together as we get started. Father, we pray that you will have your will be done in this time we have together and that you come to us by the power of your Holy Spirit and reveal truth to us in ways that, that set us free and make us new and teach us to follow after you and, and understand the right way or the, the, uh, the way that you would have us follow you. And Lord, we surrender this, this time to you and ask that you just lead and guide us into the truth that you have for each of us today. May we not leave the same as we came here, that you change us from the inside out, starting with our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've been focusing primarily on Matthew's version of what we know as the Lord's Prayer up to this point. There's also a version in Luke as well, but we, we maybe just should start with a little refresher here. And so we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6 and uh, start to in verse 9. Let's, let's read this together. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so today we're going to specifically look at this next phrase, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. Now, what does it mean when we ask for God's kingdom to come? Because this can often sound very strange, seems very confusing. You know, for one thing, we're not terribly familiar with the concept of, you know, kings and kingdoms in this country, right? We've got some history there. And even though there are still kings or queens or royal families or monarchies around in different parts of the world today, very few of them have the kind of, of absolute, unrestricted and unchecked power uh, that the kings had that are mentioned in the Bible. And so when we kind of think of kings and kingdoms and those kinds of things, because we don't have a lot to draw on, perhaps the images that come to our mind are, are things that we've seen, you know, in Netflix shows or, or on Disney movies. But kingship, at least the way we're talking about it here today, kingship is not about fantasies and fairy tales. It's all about power. And specifically, it's about 
who has the ultimate authority to call not just some of, but all of the shots? Who has the authority? And we kind of tend to bristle at just the thought of that, don't we? Because we try to do our best to make sure that no one person has too much power. Because history has certainly proven over and over again how this kind of you know, singular authority system plays out. And we, we really don't want to be a part of that. But then again, you know, it's not that we have a problem with authority. We don't have a problem with authority. That is, as long as the people with the authority do exactly what we want. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I'm a reasonable person after all. And of course, I know that we need people in authority positions. And I just want to make sure that those people, you know, whoever they, they are that have the authority, just that they do things my way. That's all I want. I just want them to do things my way. I want them to see things my way. I, I want them to want the same things I want. I, I want them to keep looking out for me and everybody that's like me at the cost of everybody else because I kind of feel like I'm most important. Now, if we can have that kind of person in charge, well, then we seem to be all for it, don't we? But, but what happens when we don't agree with those who are in authority. How, how quickly do we make the, uh, the jump to, you're not going to tell me what to do? Well, that is, of course, unless you tell me to do what I already want to do. Well, then I might do it. But, but, but it won't be because you told me to do it, just so you know. I'm not a pushover. I will not be told what to do. But right in the middle of our 21st century temper tantrum, here we have Jesus breaking in once again and teaching us about authority, specifically about God's authority and, and praying for God to make his kingdom come. Again, like we talked about last week, these, this, these next several phrases are all third person imperatives, which means that they are requests being made to God. We're, we're asking God, make your kingdom come or, or cause your kingdom come to come. Now, a kingdom, when you think about kingdoms, it, it is, is typically thought of as, as a physical location or, or a territory or maybe a country or an area. But a kingdom can also have a spiritual dimension as well. And, and that will be important for us to remember as we go here, because scripture reveals to us that kingdoms are physical, spiritual, and they can be both at the same time. They are physical and spiritual, and can be both at the same time. And in order for us to have a kingdom, guess what? We got to have a king. We have to have a king in order to have a kingdom because that, that's just the way it works. And again, we're all good with kings. And we're even good with God as our king as, as long as God's understanding of his kingdom squares up with our understanding of God's kingdom. In other words, we're fine with God being in charge as long as he does it our way. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we might know those words, we might, we might say those words, we might pray those words, but we might really truly mean something more along the lines of, God, let your kingdom come as long as I get to be the kingmaker. Because when I approve of your kingly activities, then you're going to get two thumbs way up. But if not, 
Well, then I'll just take the throne back and handle things myself. Thank you very much. But that's not how kingship works. Not at all. God is not saying that his kingdom will come as long as we give our approval or our endorsement. God's kingdom, in fact, has already come and is still coming, even without our permission or without our prayers whatsoever. First Chronicles 29 says this, starting in verse 11, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Now listen to this. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. And then over and over, all throughout the Psalms, we, Psalms, we see God referred to frequently in, in one way or another as, as being the king over everything for all time. Everything that God has created, he has final authority over. God has final authority. So, so it turns out we don't make God king. God is king. We don't make God king. He, he is king. And so if God is indeed king, and, and that's true with or without our prayers, then what are we actually praying for when we ask God for his kingdom to come? Well, in order to answer that, I want to look at, at two different dimensions that we've kind of touched on so far. We've, we've talked about there's a physical kingdom or a physical dimension, and then we've, we've talked about the, the, that that is physical in nature, and then we've talked about spiritual in nature. And the physical kingdom is what we think of when we're talking about the earth and all that God has created. But then there's this spiritual dimension to God's kingdom, which, which is often referred to throughout the Gospels, especially as the kingdom of God in several of them, and in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. Because remember last week we talked about how uh, Jewish people have believed that God's name is so holy that it shouldn't even be said. So Matthew is, tends to be the most Jewish of all the gospels. So he won't even say kingdom of God. He says kingdom of heaven. Matter of fact, this, this whole idea of kingdom is mentioned 162 times all throughout the New Testament, but most of those are found in the Gospels. And a lot of times, come, this idea is coming out of the mouth of Jesus himself. So again, there are these two dimensions of God's kingdom, spiritual and physical. And we're going to start together by exploring a little bit about just how it is that God's kingdom is spiritual. God's kingdom is Spiritual. Now, if you, you know, if you search for, uh, you know, on Google Maps for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, I don't know about Apple Maps, but if you search for the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven in Google Maps, you're not going to have any luck. And if you ask directions to the kingdom of God at the gas station, you're definitely going to get some strange looks, but probably not a lot of help in finding it. So, so where is it? Where is the kingdom of God? Well, the gospel of Mark starts, starts us in understanding this. And all the way close to the beginning in uh, chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says this, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. 
The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And then in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, we have John the Baptist who says something very similar. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So it, it seems like we're at least getting closer to the kingdom. We're getting closer, but we're, we're still not quite there yet. But then in the, in the gospel of Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 21, we, we start to understand a bit more about what is really going on here. Listen to this. This, uh, this is Jesus interacting with the Pharisees. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Because, this is the important part, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is in your midst. And what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of, of heaven, as Matthew calls it, it, it's not a fixed place, at least at this point. But it's, it's God's kingdom itself carried inside of a person. It's his kingdom inside of a person. This person is Jesus. Jesus is the full expression of God's kingdom. Jesus is the full expression of God's kingdom. In other words, the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus. This is something that had been promised and prophesied about for generations and generations before. And now in Jesus of Nazareth, God's promised kingdom had shown up and arrived in a very unexpected way. The prophet Daniel, who you probably are familiar with because you've, you've probably heard about the stories of Daniel being put into the lion's den for, for not submitting to the authorities and, and he instead remained loyal to God. Well, Daniel had a vision and he foretold of, of this very thing coming. And so in Daniel chapter uh, 7, verse 13, he says this, this is his vision. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, which is God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. But when we hear this kind of big language like this, it's, it's natural to assume that this promised one, this, this coming king would be a conquering king, right? A, a, a king who would uh, come and dominate his enemies into submission through, through military might and power and who would, who would crush all of those who had dared to do Israel wrong. But instead, the kingdom of God comes in Jesus, in the person of Jesus. Jesus, who came to serve, not to be served. And, and Jesus, who laid down his life to be crucified for the sins of others. Far from the conquering king they were expecting, Jesus was just the opposite. They had it upside down. They had been taught to expect and to be looking for someone completely different. So they didn't even recognize him 
when he came. They assumed that he would, he would come to rule the nations with an iron fist. But instead, it was his open hands that were nailed to a Roman cross where he died. And he died in what appeared to the world to be the biggest defeat in all of human history. It was thought to be a complete and total failure. But this king is like no other king that ever has been or ever will be. This is the king that was talked about in the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. When we recognize Jesus as the king that he is, instead of the king that we were expecting, and when we trust him and we believe in him and we follow him, then, then he takes our sins as well. He heals and binds up our wounds and, and he swallows up our pain and he dries our tears. And through his resurrection, he makes us brand new. He makes us new. So instead of wondering where the kingdom of God is, when you're a follower of Jesus, you need look no further than inside of your own heart. Because when Jesus is the king of our lives, that's when God gives us his Holy Spirit to rule and to reign in us, in our hearts, to bring forth the promised salvation that comes to all who surrender to him and who call upon his name. It's this king who brings about our adoption into God's family and, and who raises us to new life with him. It's this king and only this king that has the power to conquer even death itself. And so it turns out that what appeared to the world as weakness and defeat and a failure was actually God himself exercising enough power and might in a different way to save all who believe and trust in Jesus, our true King. So when we pray your kingdom come, part of what we're asking for is for God to rule and reign in our hearts and in our lives and, and to mold and to shape us into being more like Jesus so that he is able to accomplish more in us and through us than we ever imagined possible. And when we understand this spiritual dimension of God's kingdom and, and, and how it's, it's brought through Jesus himself, then that's when we can start to understand better the dimension of God's physical kingdom because God's kingdom is physical as well. God's kingdom is, is physical as well. And remember, God has final authority over all he has created, which sounds strange because at the same time, we know that we live in a fallen and a broken world. And so how, how are these two things happening at the same time? Well, living in this tension of 
already and not yet is exactly what the Apostle Paul describes as, as uh, the birth pangs of the new creation. In other words, the, the new creation is coming forth. It's emerging. But at the same time, it's, it's not fully here yet. Now, we read in the book of Genesis about how God originally spoke his kingdom into existence, where, where the spiritual and the physical dimensions, both of these things, were all meshed and intertwined together into one good and perfect creation. And part of that creation was that he created the first people to live with him and to enjoy him and to be in relationship with him in this perfectly created world. And again, this was all meshed together. It was all one thing, no separation. God was with his people and there was no distance. But then first people, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God's instructions. And, and you know, they decided, well, they'd rather just do things their own way instead, which brought about this separation, this separation formed between God and people. And I think it's, it's probably most simply put that Adam and Eve decided they wanted to be king rather than have a king. They wanted to be king. They wanted to call the shots. They wanted to be in charge rather than submit to the authority of a king. Does that, does that sound at all familiar? Especially in our world today? So sin entered. Sin came. And sin separated God in the heavens, from the people on earth. There was, there was a fracture, a great, unrecoverable fracture in God's original creation. Because a holy God, remember we talked about God's holiness last week, God, a holy God cannot be where there is sin. He's too holy. So, so God gave the kingdom of this world over to let sin run its deadly course. But he did this all the while having a plan that he would someday restore it and redeem it. Psalm 115 verse 16 puts it this way. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to humankind. So God, heaven, people on earth. My question is, how's it going? How's it going with us being in charge? It's not going well. Simple truth is we cannot ever fix the problems of this world without God. This world belongs to God. And if, if we have not learned that by now, then perhaps we never will. But the truth is that our world right now, today, is in a real mess, a full-on 2020-style mess. And so we might be tempted to think that, that God is just going to show up in a blaze of glory and, again, dominate this rebellious world and put it into submission. Well, we are promised that at some point that will indeed happen. God will come back and God will fulfill all of it. But how do we go about living in this reality, in this in-between time, in this already and not yet? Well, what we're asking uh, for, for God to do when we pray your kingdom come 
is for God to intervene, to come into our broken and our hurting world in, in, in a way, not, not just like on a temporary uh, visit. He's not there for like a weekend. Uh, we are inviting God to come and to bring about the fulfillment of his kingdom completely, where again, the spiritual and the physical dimensions of his kingdom are joined together forever in God's perfect creation, that they're, they're put back together and made new, a new heaven and a new earth where there is no separation. We're asking that God come and rule inside of our hearts and in our lives to the point that we live differently, that we live differently, that, that we live in ways that reflect God's character and who he is and his love for us and his, his determination to draw all people who are lost and hurting to himself, to share this good news. We can't get this out of order. Spiritual change first, physical change second, because this kind of thing is lasting change that the world needs. And it starts in the hearts of all who confess Jesus as Lord and King. When the kingdom of God comes into our hearts, then the physical world around us starts to change. Why? Because of how God is living and breathing and working in us and through us to make his kingdom come. We have been called by Jesus to be ambassadors and agents of this kingdom. Remember, Jesus calls his disciples as go forth and make disciples. Go forth and make disciples. That's our mission. You and I are invited into partnering with God to bring about his kingdom coming here now, not to go somewhere else to try to find it, not to wander off and, and search the maps, but no, to bring his kingdom right here and right now and right in the middle of this big mess of a world that we're living in. And this is the fundamental difference between Christianity and all other religions. In every other or almost every other religion, I'm going to say all other religions, the goal of life is simply to get somewhere else. You're trying to get somewhere else. No matter what you call it, if it's nirvana or paradise or, or nothingness or, or the afterlife, whatever it is. The point is that the focus is people are trying to leave here and go to find God somewhere else. But this is entirely upside down from the way that God's kingdom comes. God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus, to us. And it's through Jesus that God has already begun the process of making all things right. And, and while it might not seem like that or feel like that, Every now and again, we do get these little glimpses of God's kingdom as it continues to be revealed in and through us, the followers of Jesus. Remember, we are called to be God's messengers. We are called to be his agents of reconciliation. We are called to be invited into his, his process of restoring all that has been lost. And so the question is whether or not is Jesus the king of your heart? Is Jesus the king of your heart, truly the king of your heart and the ruler of your life? Because we get the opportunity to help bring about God's kingdom here when we know and when we trust and when we believe 
that the kingdom comes through Jesus. So let's pray that his kingdom comes. Father, we pray that you will make that true, that you will bring your kingdom to come on this earth just like it is in heaven, that you will have your will and your way and that you will rule and reign in our lives that draw us into relationship more deeply and completely with you than we ever could comprehend or understand. We thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us to try to figure this out on our own, or you don't leave us to be victims of just bad teaching that gets it all wrong. But instead, you, the master teacher, told us exactly what we are to pray for. And so, Lord, we ask your kingdom come. We pray that that's true in our hearts and in our lives and in our world. And we know and confess to you that it's only possible through your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.